Good morning, good morning. Welcome back to another amazing episode of Black Financial Initiative Podcast. So we'll be bringing you some more information to help you save money and make money. So I'm going to go ahead and kick it off to Larry. Larry, tell the people what we have today. All right, all right, man. We are super excited. We got a, a, a guest today, a great guest today. Um, his name is Lawrence. He's the creator of the Financial Literacy Education blog, the Neighborhood Finance Guy, and co-host on the Financial Griot Podcast. Lawrence, how are you doing today? I'm doing amazing, and thank you for the invite to this uh, conversation, because it's something that we don't get a, a chance to do a lot of, and I appreciate it 100%. We got our, myself here, not to be confused by Larry, and we got Terrence, <laughs> I am Lawrence, like, and they, they, they did not pay me to be here. And Eric is also here, too. <laughs> Real quick, and this is off, off his website, Lawrence is featured on Business Insider two times. <laughs> the Motley Fool, Yahoo Finance, Go Banking, Rate, the Ask Lovely podcast, Paychecks and Balances, His and Her Money podcast, Marriage, Kids and Money, and Journey to Launch. This, this man is everywhere, dog. <laughs> right. <laughs> I saw that one. Like, 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 it's hey, a two P trying stop. to be a, a three P. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. like, like, throw, throw out the rigs. Like, yeah, right. yeah. That's exactly <laughs> what I thought of. When he put two times, I thought of like shit rigs. Like, <laughs> Man, so yeah, man, we're, we're super excited. Thank you for coming in such short. Heck, we talked earlier this week and then you jumped right on. So we appreciate that. Yeah, man, well, Larry, hit, um, Larry hit us up and was like, hey, you have a, a guest for us this weekend. Yeah, I want to record this weekend. It was, it was like Wednesday or Thursday. <laughs> it's probably Thursday too. Like he's like, you hit you for Thursday. Like, oops, I was supposed to tell you. Tuesday. My bad. <laughs> but no, man, let's, let's get into it. Tell us, tell us a little about yourself. Let us know about yourself. Being a first-generation Haitian-American, career, transformation for your net worth, everything. Tell, tell us a little bit about yourself. Wow, I'm going to start off with a tiny violin story. You know, hey, I was uh, born in Miami. My mom couldn't take care of me. Yeah. <laughs> and she sent me to Haiti to live. It's actually, it doesn't sound as bad as it was. I didn't even know her until like uh, probably like seven or eight when I actually met my mom for the first time. So I was actually raised in Haiti the entire time. I thought of Haiti was like the dopest place ever because, you know, you, you kind of go along your way. My aunt, the first day of school, either it was kindergarten or the first day of the, whatever other grade that you get into, she'll get to the, well, get in the car or we'll start walking and get into a bus or something like that. She said, you better remember exactly where you're going because the next day it's up to you. Like you, you imagine like a toddler, like three or four. Yeah. This is what, <laughs> it's what you tell them. Like this is exactly how you live. And I'm pretty sure the next day she was kind of, she followed me the next day. I, I have an idea of vague memory, like looking back, because I don't even know what's going on. But I had to remember where I was going. So Haiti be, uh, forced you to kind of grow up fast. Like the idea of just being yourself, being actionable, being uh, on top of your own game. And from then on, I actually moved to Miami. I, had in, I got in, indoctrinated in the Miami-Dade County urban school system, which is a lot uh -oh. <laughs> different than the, <laughs> the Haitian system where you had to pay for school. Um, on top of that, I joined the Marine Corps after high school and I went to Florida State University and I picked up a hundred and twenty. Well, it's one hundred thousand dollars worth of student loans, but eventually ended up being one hundred and ten thousand dollars. So I was effectively broke, broke, broke. <laughs> when people ask you for money, I'm like, I look at my, my loans. I'm like, I have none. I, have none. <laughs> like, I can't give you anything I don't have. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. And when I was coming out of schools after the whole housing crash and the economy was kind of like in a recession, um, they were really hiring and I got a job making 23K a year. Um, I had to make that work. Like 23K a year before tax. That means by the time Ugh. you get the tax and, and, and Florida's <laughs> nasty. Like the state of Florida, they pay you once a month. <laughs> 
They don't play mm. like it's literally once a month. So you got to make it work. You got to make it stress. So I was forced to, you know, understand financial literacy very quickly, budgeting, financing, tax avoidance, because I studied that in school. And ultimately, I had to pull it all together. And, and it taught me an important lesson that even in poverty, there is wealth of information and knowledge and resourcefulness that you can get. And now me and my wife, we're all the way up. To, well, we went from negative one hundred twenty five thousand dollars in uh, net worth to well, six hundred thirty six hundred forty thousand dollars this uh, this week. <laughs> so it's actually coming out really quick from 2012 to 2021. And we got like two more years before we become millionaires. So we got it online. Wow. Awesome. Amazing story right there. Thank you. <laughs> That's really from the bottom. <laughs> hey, oh, yeah. Hey, hey, well, you get well, you get about a thousand dollars a month to, to survive off of. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you learn some fast lessons. Yeah, Man, she can swim, huh? What huh? what job were you doing fresh out of college for, for 23 or 24? For 23, pay, whatever it was. I was yeah. I remember the name. Maybe I try to make it sound better in my in my resume, but it was an assistant <laughs> secretary at the department and the Florida Department of Agriculture. So it was the financial section. All I had to do was really cash out checks to businesses in Florida all over the place. Either it be local fishers and farmers, all that stuff, even school districts. I had to cash out um, some rebate checks and verify some of their taxes. And that's where I kind of like pivoted. Um, six months after that, I actually ended up in another job making 32K per year because I just kind of made that jump and that leap every time I revised my resume. And then next time I revised my resume, it was like six months later when the job said, hey, you're too new to, to us to give you an upgrade. And I just went right back to my desk. I applied for a job with the government. And lo and behold, I got that job making 64. When they called me on the phone, they like, hey, the, um, you know, I, I guess it's like, is that, would that be enough for you? Is that enough? I was gone. Enough. What are you talking about? Like, I'm in transit. <laughs> I was like, right. enough. Somebody's like, like, oh, you are not prepared for this question. I'm like, oh, is this how negotiations work? <laughs> like, you know, like, negotiate. I don't negotiate, man. I take whatever I get. Hey, that boy You're... was doing a great, great resonation way before it I became know, a thing. Right, yeah. <laughs> I, like, I grab whatever grab. It's like, it's like when people say I'm going I'm to uh, negotiate with them, negotiate how? They double my salary. <laughs> <laughs> Where do I sign up? Mm-hmm. <laughs> with you being Haitian American, I was wondering if there were like different group economics or like what finances were taught like being being Haitian like I know different communities have different things that they think about finances or money like was there anything specific uh like being Haitian growing up that like knew that you were taught honestly no I think part of how our lessons in financial literacy happen in the black community in the black diaspora being around the world and having mm-hmm. multiple amount of friends is the resourcefulness that our grandparents you know had our parents or our grandparents, how they made money move. Like my grandmother, when I had to start thinking about how I'm going to get out this debt and how I'm going to like, you know, pursue even more. I started thinking about my grandmother that had like seven kids. And I'm like, she, I don't think she ever made more than 16 K a year, period. I do my, uh, my mom taxes uh, now and she never made $30,000 a year, period in her lifetime. But she was able to, you know, live in my opinion, a fulfilling life. So when my grandmother passed away, it was kind of like I had to hold back. I had to carry the casket and hold back people that were screaming. It was almost like a, a Michael uh, Jackson like you know, concert, man. It was kind of intense because people loved her so much, how much she gave back to the community on top of the um, supporting her family and, and really boosting up her church. So you saw a lot of those resourcefulness in, within, I guess, that generation. I remember waking mm-hmm. up in the morning, like 5 a.m. or something like that. Or, you know, when you're a kid trying to stay up as long as possible. <laughs> right. and, I, yeah. and once you kind of get that threshold, you're like, what happens, you know, once 5 a.m. happens? You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> on a Saturday. You know? 
<laughs> so it turns out my grandma used to get up in the morning and she was making um, alcohol. Like it's like a rum uh, specialty that we make in Haiti. So she makes the alcohol and she was really grinding. She was doing side hustles before I knew what a side hustle was, before it was gentrified. <laughs> side hustle. Yeah. People were yeah. just doing that. They just worked hard. And they, when she went to the market, which is a lot different than, you know, going to the grocery store, she was haggling. She knew the numbers. So she, it don't matter if it was inflation or not. She was just kind of calculating how much can she get, you know, for this money so she could go back home cut it up and quote unquote meal prep. You know, I had all these new words that yeah. we have. We've always yeah. done this stuff, man. <laughs> like right. it's always been part of the community. It's just that we we fell away from it as uh, young adults. And I had to kind of go back to that. She used to have these vats of like pots of food in the fridge. And that's what you're going to find in Haitian American fridges, like your, your mom's stuff. It's just, there's always food there. So you don't have to kind of like go to the fast food or a restaurant because there's always food at the crib. So that's the idea of all these things that were always around us. We just try to use it better together. I was just going to say, that's awesome to think of. And, you know, <laughs> when you said that, I'm thinking of like my grandparents and stuff like, yeah, they <laughs> they would fix everything. Like it wasn't too much calling out a person, you know, to do this. And grandmother always had food. Like, yeah, that's, <laughs> they were grinding. Like they just knew how to make a dollar stretch. Yeah. On top of that, they had good networking with each other, too. Oh, yeah. So my grandmother never really drove anywhere, but she always got to where she, she needed to go because she always they had a network with people like, hey, I need to go to the market. Who's going to the market? So they reach out to each other and they just go. They just mm. get it happen. They wait for somebody to show up for sure. But on top of that, it just worked together naturally. Then you had to make it a thing. As much more that, hey, you go into the grocery store, I'm going to the grocery store, let's hop in the car let's together. In, yeah. As just say, saving money, saving time, yeah. and building camaraderie no matter what. Our doors in Haiti was always open. We didn't even have a gate. Like, it's, sometimes it's just kind of like, if there is there a time that people was hungry and they were just passing by, there was always some level of food. It didn't mean that we had a lot of food. It's just like we could share what we mm -hmm. had, which was really good. That's awesome. Man, you can take that back to um, during our last time meeting fellas uh we had an episode on power numics and we we're talking about community versus neighborhoods mm -hmm. yeah and that's exactly what you're describing to me lawrence that's what i think of as, as community when you're talking about you know each individual might not have a lot or or have this particular thing but you know you know how to work within the people around you and work with your family and, and you guys can help uplift and bring each other together so that's kind of what we want to preach and and build and try to bring back so shout out to all our the elders, the old school ones out there that, you know, showed how to scratch and claw and survive and, and make it seem like you had, you know, everything. And, you know, the kids don't even realize it, man, we might be struggling, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it's, it's amazing how they do that. I was talking to my wife, I think yesterday, and we were kind of talking about the same thing. We're like, man, you know, it's, it's two of us, you know, doing okay for ourselves and have our, you know, our little baby. And we're like, man, can you imagine Back in the days, other people trying to do this or or people that, uh, you know, make a minimum wage and like, how how does it does it happen? But people can find a way. Yeah. So just it's crazy to think even of, babysitting kids, you know, yeah, like, yeah. hey, you, you, hey, I got to go to work. The kid got to stay with somebody, but family was around. You know what I mean? Right, <laughs> there's, exactly. a, there's a feeling behind it. And you're right. Like even to have your doors open to have the next kid next door that didn't have any food come through. Like if, if your friends came through, they also got food. It was just the, the, the level of just openness that we had as a community. I don't think we have that as much in today's day and age. 
Man, this reminds me of a funny story. I'm gonna I'm throw an E out for this. He might remember this. But, so, so, so I grew up in the country. You know, we told you earlier, we're from uh, Texas and, and different parts of Texas. Texas is huge and vast. And so I'm from, from the woods and, and I grew up with family. You know, we out in the field and you look down the road and it's the aunt and then the grandmother or, or this person grew up with my mom and, and all that. So it's very, you know, close knit used to not lock the doors to the house, not lock the cars to the to the vehicles or anything like that. So we're in college because we all met in college and E and I were about to head somewhere and I go to the car, we head, we head to the car and he's like, hey, you left your keys inside. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, come on. And he's like, no, you left your keys in your, in your car. I'm like, yeah, I always leave them in there. He's like, you country ass bumpkin. <laughs> it's different. It's he's different. like, he's well, I like, knew you exactly where he got city. it from. I was like, dude, this is a country thing right here. I was like, ain't happening in the, in the inner city out here. No, not at all. I was like, you going around, like, you do that, you're around family, like, trusted, trusted friend. Like, it's a small community. I'm like, no way you doing that in the city, man. Yeah, he's Terrence, like, I bet you're not doing that no more. No, no. I, 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 locked the door, got the ring. You know, like, who's, who's at the door? Who are you? Exactly. Yeah, I may or may not answer the door. Like, I didn't ask you to visit. <laughs> I thought about it after that. I was like, huh, he might be on or something. I, I don't have my aunt and grandma standing down the road. He was, he was like, you bring your butt to the city trying that, see what happens. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, no community around where I was at at that moment. Back, but back in the day when I was growing up, I had that, so I was still in that in that mode. But we have to try to uplift and bring those communities back. But man, you were talking about growing up in in Haiti, and I was creeping on your page, and I saw that you were talking about how, like you said, when you moved from Haiti to Miami, and you used the term "tricked." You said you were tricked to. to oh Miami. yeah, man! I was tricked. I was tricked. <laughs> Like as much as people think, um, I, I don't know, for, for whatever reason, a lot of Americans think that everybody just wants to be in America, right? Yeah, we might see it on TV. We might experience, you know, I guess the culture by, you know, observing it or listening to it. But in truth, sometimes we're in places that we're just happy to be there. Just like when you're growing up and you're a kid, you're in, you're in your own home, in your own town, you love it. You have no idea any concept anywhere else, but you just love where you are because you have your friends and family around you. So for me, my aunt, said, hey, you know, hey, like one of my, the cool one, because I had like like five aunts or something. So they, they remind me of the Spice Girls. There's one that was sporty. The sporty <laughs> one was like the cool one. So she was the one like, hey, you know, hey, you ever want, you want to travel this summer? I'm like, travel? I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't know, you know, maybe. I don't have, to, you know, my mind, like, I don't have no money to do this, but all right, let's go, let's go. She's like, yeah, you know, where would you want to go? But she kind of spins, spins the globe and she kind of focuses back on like America. I'm like, yeah, I guess this place, I guess. And she's like, what? And she kind of moves down. It's like, what about Florida? I'm like, yeah, Florida, yeah. I, I guess Orlando, we, we got uh, Mickey Mouse, Disney. He's like, yeah, Disney, Disney. He's like, okay, cool, I'm going to go. Got me to pack up, and lo and behold, I was here, and it was all a lie. Uh, it's just like she was sending me back to my mom. It was a, it was a blatant lie, man. <laughs> like I didn't, even, like I had a perfect life. My life was doing good. I I was a star of a play when I was in Haiti. I, I had, I think I had some of the girls, like the hottest girl at the school, you know, like kindergarten school. You know, I thought I was, the, you know, number one out here. I thought you I was going to be back next, you know, yeah, hey, next season. I'm going to come back even harder at the school. I'm going right. to do it big. 
And lo and behold, man, it was a straight up lie, man. She displaced me, man. <laughs> like straight up. <laughs> I'll give her props on how she did it. She was slick with it. Like she oh, had nasty, it man. To this day, I'm looking, I'm waiting for like a, an apology. You know, how one of those things like you, you were betrayed us on the inside? <laughs> Betrayal. <laughs> like, and man, she came slick with it. She had that plan out. That was like just Jedi mind tricks on you, dude. <laughs> I even asked her, like, hey, as long as you, I remember specifically saying, as long as you don't send me to my mom, I'll be cool with it. <laughs> like, as long as you don't send it to my mom. It was a co- complete lie. Well, we talked about the your finances. You talked about your um, kind of going through school and being in the military and just how you've grown starting from that first job making like twenty three thousand and on but uh how did you and your wife end up transforming that that network oof um one i met my wife back in i believe november of 2020 uh, 2016 so it was around this time of 2016 where they're doing like a friendsgiving and i just kind of showed up chilling i was cracking some jokes here and there and you know you know when you kind of crash the jokes and nobody really laughing but that one person i'm like man this is a failed night <laughs> like i was ready to go home and it turns out she actually liked me so eventually we kind of met up and we we dated for a bit and find out we had a lot in, uh, a lot of things in common she loves anime you know she loves like that kind of stuff we, she loves to travel she's really laid back and ultimately, we just kind of vibed. And eventually, we got married in um, last year, November 2020. Okay. And between that time, we were able to kind of like lock down our budgeting style, our financial style, in which we make sure that we're um, investing as much as possible and as soon as possible. So the way that we've done it is one, and it's simple. Like I know some people want to want to hear the hardest example of how to build wealth, but it's fairly simple. One, you decrease your expenses as much as whatever that you don't need. It's really the stuff that's kind of worthless to you. Find whatever's intentional, you spend it on, that's one thing. Increase your income because there's only so much decreasing you can actually do. So you just increase over time, no matter what you do in a side hustle, even getting better at your job, whatever that is, and you invest the difference. That's the only three things. Like all these books, financial stuff that exists in the world, it's only three things. Once you conquer those three things, everything else kind of like flows better. And ultimately, the last um, couple of years, uh, we've been growing our network fairly quickly. And majority of that is probably through investments um, themselves. I'd say, yeah, our investments are up to $500,000 now. What, so, what, what type of investments? <clears throat> investments being a combination of um, your our 401ks, our IRAs, and our HSA, um, as well as our after-tax. So the first three are very much tax avoidance strategies that a lot of rich people typically use. The idea is like people not trying to, it's not about making more money for a lot of rich people. It's really about saving as much in taxes as possible and actually putting that money for yourself into your own 401k and um, at work. One, it hits your match. Sometimes they give you a little extra money on top of that that you don't want to kind of pass on. A lot of people do for some reason. I'm like five grand a year is not something I want to pass on. It's free (laughs) free food. It's free money, man. Free food, free everything. It's all good. And on top of that, the next one is a traditional or Roth IRA. Depending on how much you make, you kind of qualify for one or the other. Ultimately, the last one is our um, health savings account, especially for Black people. I highly recommend it because in our 20s, especially young Black men, we barely ever go to the, the, the hospital or doctor anything, right? True. Imagine mm-hmm. all your 20s, those 10 years, you're actually investing in a um, HSA, which is basically an additional $3,600 uh, per person uh, per year. So it actually increases every once in a while. So let's take that number. You multiply that by by 10. 
that's $30,000 just in your HSA. And inside your HSA, you can also invest. Investing in also you know, mutual funds, gaining like dividends as well as growth as well. So all of that together, it's a powerful effect of saving you a lot of taxes and making your money go further for you. And the HSA, I guess, is that to, I'm not as familiar <laughs> with it, but I guess is that to be used, I guess, on any health items that arise yes, in the future? Yes, yes. Okay. HSA is a combination. To get an HSA, you have to get a high deductible health plan. So it's different from an insurance. It's like a an insurance plus. So they they charge you a little bit more, but that little bit more goes into creating your health savings account. So there's um, some plans actually kicks back a, the premium into the HSA. So for example, Atna kicks back $800 right into your HSA for the year as you kind of go through and building. So ultimately at the bare minimum, you always have $800 in your HSA for that year starting before you actually use the extra money to get to the $2,800 to get to the, the max for the year. On top of that, you can use any of that money on health stuff, either be medical, dental, or vision. And you can also go on, on Amazon right now. They have an um, HSA and FSH-friendly uh, portion to it, too. So any type of thing, like massage thing, whatever, all the HSA-approved items are mm-hmm. in the Amazon, especially for women. I'm looking at women like, yeah, I talk about the pink tax, but I'm like, yo, you, you could use the HSA to buy everything off of Amazon for, you know, that uh, feminine hygiene products. Basically yeah. tax-free, tax-free. So you're taking wow. about like, I think it ends up being on 25% tax off um, overall when you use your HSA. Oh, man, that's pretty cool. It's crazy, man. Yeah, I didn't and, think about that. And for example, for me, as especially as what I said, young black men, stacking up all that money, I have $30,000 in my HSA now. If my wife become pregnant and say, how are we going to pay for it? HSA account. Because <laughs> yeah, that's the thing about, yeah, that's the thing about medical issues. When they happen and you have to pay out of pocket, it, that hurts because you don't even know where that money's going to come from. Right. But when you already have this extra backup savings account that already has a little bit more money in there, you can always use that. You can always tap into it. So if you have your kids running to a tree and lose five teeth, you know where the money's <laughs> going to come from. You ain't going to be totally happy with it, but at least you're not going to be dying, you know, like financially in that moment. Right, right. So does that uh, roll over every year or what? The HSA? It rolls, yeah, it rolls over and adds up every year. FSAs do not, so that's different. That's a flexible savings account. That is not an HSA. But the HSA itself rolls over, adds up every year. So you can just keep stacking it as much as possible, as long as possible, too. You mentioned that um, rich people, tax avoidance is important to them. Do you have any more tips about tax avoidance? Um, I think that tax... That combination itself of your 401k, IRA, and HSA, it's around $30,000 that you can actually contribute. So you can offset, let's say if you're making 80K, you could offset your taxes by 30K off the top. Okay. That's an easy offset. That's around, I, I, I think I calculated once before, it ended up being around a good $4,000 um, tax savings for you. So if you're going to, okay. it's going to actually boost, hopefully boost your, your refund as well. So you get even more money so you could keep doing it um, more for you. And some points you do have to pay taxes down the line, but that's a whole other thing. But ultimately, I don't, I don't think it's a missed opportunity for anybody to actually focus on using those accounts. On top of that, there's other tax avoidance. Um, well, I studied the tax code and it's kind of like based off of the church. And, you know, that's really what it was all about. The tax code basically says, hey, get married, which is going to give you a tax benefit. That's one. Get a home. It's also going to give you a tax benefit. Build a business is going to give you a tax benefit. 
and invest in yourself. It's going to also give you a tax benefit. So all these things are basically, uh, they're, they're based off of biblical principles that are just woven into the tax code. It's colorless, it's colorblind. It's just basically saying that if you do these things, you will get better tax advantages over time. Okay, okay. Need to think about Never thought about it like that. Hey, I, yeah. I learned yeah. it in class. I was like, I did the damn, bro, this got real deep. <laughs> like, like, hey, make it simple, man. Yeah, I like, like that. It got real deep for me. I'm like, whoa. Like, I, as the only black guy in the class, I'm like, am I the only one learning this? Right, <laughs> <laughs> right. Everybody was not impressed. I was like, I'm impressed. <laughs> oh, I know you had, uh, you just mentioned like marriage, you mentioned your wife, how you met her. As far as finances in your household, Who's responsible for what, or how do you divvy that up? And also, um, did you have to do a lot of convincing for your wife to buy in, or was she the one like, "Hey, we need to do this. Let's, mm. do, let's go do it." Yeah, that's a good. That's a great question. <laughs> like, because <laughs> I'm the one that kind of runs the majority of the finances. It's not to say that she can't do it because she was doing it, you know, before me. You know, obviously for right. her own finances on her own. I think right. there's a significant amount of like that. There's a moment where we had to merge accounts. It's <laughs> if you guys not married yet, that moment is an intense moment because it, it's, it's like it's the most you know sex is one thing, but to open yourself up financially, <laughs> <laughs> to, to spread open. Like, this is really me. Like, we're naked out here. <laughs> like, yeah, out here. And exactly. and she has to you know entrust me that I'm not gonna take her money for granted. Or I have to entrust the fact that now I have to add her to the account so she doesn't take my money for granted. So we're both working together in, in, in wholesomeness. So ultimately, uh, I do run it a, a little bit better because I've created all this. I understand the, the accounting behind everything. I understand the taxes behind it. And I try to do the best to you know maximize the, the benefits that we have. But ultimately, she could kind of do it herself if she wanted to, though she probably doesn't want to. <laughs> she's, like, she's like, man, I don't want to do none of that. But she kind of sort of like it's it's it works well because she's neither like a, a super spender. Um, I think when you have like yeah. the that combination of the, the one that's the saver and the spender, that's where you have a problem. If you kind of flip it all the time, like the sometimes the saver that's also the financial person could be like a bad person too, because nobody's checking on them. <laughs> like because mm-hmm. uh, especially the spender is like, hey, I ain't checking on none of the money stuff. So that person could end up doing financial uh financial infidelity. That's what they call yeah. it, because yeah. nobody's checking on the money. So it's good that we kind of keep the accounts uh, flowing. We kind of get into uh, money uh, conversations with where we're going to go. Uh, she has access to the personal capital, so she sees where our money is. And obviously, I post it on IG all the time, so everybody's tracking <laughs> me. <laughs> so well, that's, what that's what I was telling the, the fellas. I mean, you you feel I feel like you feel very confident to put your information out there. Yeah, it's not just about the confidence. I think when I was in the Marine Corps, anything that adds fear and complexity to my life, I kind of just jump right in. So instead of being afraid of it, I'm like, I'm not going to let this, this thing become such an unbearable part of my life. So I completely go the opposite route. Unlike other people, I'm not going to let it come completely, I guess, run me disabled or something. (laughs) I just going to talk about it. I'm going to make, I'm going to dispel all of it. And I think we'd be better off as a community if we have more money conversation and become more open about it. Cause that's the only way like if I don't, if I'm not saying anything about my finances, the 401k, how it's going, it's harder to convince other people to jump in because they don't yeah. see the proof. They don't see the, the understanding. True. If I'm not saying, hey, we need to look at our finances, my entire community falters. It's not just me. 
It's like my, my friends in the corner that be like, oh, you're cheap. At first, they're like, you're cheap. You're, 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 you ain't trying to go nowhere. I'm like, one, I travel the world more than you do. I, I'm not quite sure how I'm the cheap one. <laughs> so like, I pay for everything all the time. I, I don't know how I'm the cheap one. But they also learn because they're seeing, oh, shoot, I could actually use this 401k and it's still my money and it's the, it can still grow. It's the most like cool. It, I don't know. It's the coolest thing I've ever seen when my buddy is like, yo, man, hey, my HSA is doing 30 percent this year. I'm like, that's what's up. Now we can have a conversation. We can make it fun. We can say, hey, I, I'm trying to make 35 percent. What are you trying to do? Like it could be something that could be a little bit less um, troubling financially and something a little bit more open that the entire community could get into. We yeah, actually said smart. that uh, exact same thing on another podcast is another episode in the past was we were talking about having open conversations and how that improves uh, everything as far as our community is we need to have those candid conversations about the finances and because that's what you know the other people do right you know they'll oh so-and-so owns this business he made x amount you know last year and and he's doing this with his taxes or she is doing this with her taxes and her business and you know that's what we'll see white people do but black people we get a little bit more guarded except for when we're showing off yeah. <laughs> on instagram yeah we love the showing off part <laughs> yeah like, yeah showing off material things you know we're, like, we're not talking about actual assets we're showing off the de- depreciating material mclaren but. the mclaren like hey no no girl no girl wants to think it's hot that you talk about your 401k <laughs> like <Right>. man, <laughs> yeah. hey my allocation to my 401k is doing well this year <laughs> it's not gonna get you anything you're right yeah <laughs> That's not sexy, as they say. <laughs> right. What, what can you do for me now? You know, <laughs> like, what's going on? Like, yeah, I, I could, I could change your allocations. You know, I could maximize that. <laughs> right. You're talking about retiring in 20 years, but uh, I'm the trying club to is today. open this weekend. <laughs> right. I'm trying, I'm trying to do something right now. <laughs> exactly. All right. Thank you all for listening. This was part one of a two-part interview with Lawrence, the neighborhood finance guy. He can be found on Instagram at the neighborhood finance guy. Also, his website is www.theneighborhoodfinanceguy.com. He also has a podcast called The Financial Griot. Thank you all. Part two will be coming out in two weeks. Thank you again. Bye.